What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the VidQ Podcast. I'm Johnny D. Wynn, and my guest today is the founder and CEO of Wynn's Kitchen. Wynn, thank you so much for coming on um, and having this conversation with me. Hi, Johnny. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be here with you. I got a chance to um, meet you through uh, a mutual friend, um, uh, Christina, and uh, and was very fascinated to uh, to share your story to my audience. So uh, why don't we get started by sh telling um, or sh sharing a little bit about your your career in at, at Bank of America and your um, and your career there. Sure. So um, I have a pretty eclectic career background. Um, you know, I started out in banking. I started working at Bank of America as a teller since I was in high school and um, worked there all through college and graduated with a degree in finance because, you know, being Vietnamese, um, our parents want us to kind of go the corporate route, the safe route. Um, so I decided to go with finance. I ended up being at Bank of America for 10 years. And, wow. you know, during that time, towards the end, I had a very good job. I was a client manager. I was the VP at B of A at 25 years old. And I was kind of bored. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, you know, there had to be, I knew there had to be something else. So I started exploring and I came upon wedding planning and thought that was such a interesting, creative um a career that I didn't know anything about. And at that time, we were planning to start a family. So I wanted to think about starting my own business and having my own hours. And so I launched in the middle of a recession in 2008 while I was pregnant. <laughs> I launched my own wedding planning company and, and I actually had that for 12 years. So launching a wedding planning company mm -hmm with coming from banking there's there's so much to mm -hmm. to ask th there because um i actually share um that career path as well but i i, w I was in the wedding business for about three years but on the video mm -hmm. and photography studio side um right and it was how i got into it was because i was in media and video videography and it was um at that time the cinematic style was becoming very popular mm -hmm. um, in the wedding uh, yeah. business so we yeah. as filmmakers are running um managing a bunch of filmmakers thought that was a right. uh, a great opportunity to get into but it um mm -hmm. the wedding business is, is 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 special and it's a very uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a very unique business so like it, how did you yeah. get in or like um i guess my first question to that is how did you um what is it about wanting to start a, a, a wedding planning business and how did you get in, in started there? Right. So, you know, uh, one of my jobs out right after college was I was promoted to be a branch manager. So, okay. um, you know, I managed uh, a whole branch of me up to about 30 employees at one time and managing customers, goals, all that stuff. And it was fine, but I hated being you know, I hated being stuck inside a building under fluorescent lights for 15 hours a day, right? And so then when I got promoted to a client manager, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. I can work remotely. Um, but then I, a part of me kind of missed that hustle and bustle a little bit, like just that on the go. And I, I met with, I was actually in a meeting and I met with this one woman and she said, oh my gosh, you remind me so much of my daughter. And I said, really? Why? She's like, well, you're really outgoing. And, 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 I, and I said, okay, well, what does your daughter do? And she goes, oh, she just start, she has her own wedding planning business. And I was like, what? I didn't, I didn't know people did that. So this was back in, um, yeah, 2008, right? 2007, 2008. So I started looking into it. And then I found out there's like an online course that you can take. So I did the course and I thought, hey, this kind of incorporates all the things I like, like connecting with people, um, being able to go to different appointments and meetings and being out and about, socializing. Um, but then there's a lot of skills that I had from running a banking center that I knew would be helpful, like the organization, just, you know, everything. My timelines used to be down to the minute, you know, it'd be like. 455 <laughs> bride comes down 
five o'clock music starts. It, it's extremely detail oriented. And, and it was just something that I was used to running a banking center, um, except you get the creative side. You get to do the design of the flowers, the wedding, um, you know, the decor. And it, it took a while. Of course, with anything, I started off doing weddings with very small budgets, um, still great clients, but people took a chance on me. And then, you know, all my friends at the time were in banking. So they're like, what is, what is Wynn doing? Like trying to be, you know, going from banking to a wedding planner. So it took about a year for me to like find different networking groups and I would go and meet people. And, um, I ended up meeting another wedding planner that was Vietnamese, uh, to this day, he's one of my best friends still, Thomas Bowie. And we totally hit it off and he became my mentor. And, um, wow, so I, and then I want to, I want to, yeah, I want to yeah. stop you there for just yeah. a sec. That yeah. name, when it comes to San Diego luxury mm -hmm. wedding, yes. still to this day in 2023 is, um, it's synonymous. Yeah. Like I, um, yeah. I, I got a chance to meet him at an industry event in Los Angeles and was oh, yeah, just yeah. Looked, looked at his portfolio and it was just blown away. And uh, yes, yeah, so, yeah. Wow. So Thomas is one of my best friends. He's my one to this day. He's one of my best friends. And so he became my mentor and really, um, you know, he really, he, I mean, he was in the business at that time for over 10 years already. And so he really connected me with, you know, different vendors. And then I had the really strong business background. So I would really help him with like the business side of things like, you know, getting the proper insurance. And, and we just became really close and became like family. And, um, and we would help each other out. Like sometimes I would work with him at weddings. And if I had a, an event, he would come work with me if he's not busy. Um, but yeah, so, so it's, it, it's amazing. And I, I always feel that I'm so lucky that any industry I'm in, I'm somehow able to find a mentor to kind of really show me the ropes and, and I'm a pretty quick learner. So yeah, Thomas Boy lifestyle. <laughs> I'll have to tell him, I'll tell him about this. So um, highlights, what would be in your wedding business? What would be one or two highlights that you could um, share? You know, um, towards towards the end, I I ended up doing some pretty big, lavish events. Um, I've done destination weddings in the hills of Las Gatas. Um, I had some pretty high net worth um, public figure clientele, and so one of the highlights was you know I did a wedding where the groom was half Mexican, and um, he loved Mexican bands. And so uh, they had a second home in Rancho Santa Fe, and he was like when my dream is to have my this Mexican band from Mexico City be at my wedding. Mm -hmm. And so um, I ended up, you know, covering the entire pool, building a stage. And this band is actually a Grammy award winning band. So it wasn't just like a, a wedding band. It, it was a, a real pop star, you know, and so they send over the writer. It's in Spanish and 100 pages long. <laughs> Um, but you know, it was, it was tough. It was a full year. Um, very, the couple was great. Um, the family, family dynamic was very difficult for me on top of the logistics because of, um, the band being a famous Grammy award-winning band, there were very specific, um, requests that they had and, you know, they just want to show up. They don't want to hang out before the wedding. And so with weddings, everything is so detailed. So, and I, and the equipment that's involved, um, alone is very extensive. So I ended up pretty much producing a concert and a very high end wedding with everyone from out of town. So they were all from Texas. So it was, um, I would say that was probably one of my biggest accomplishments and, and probably the toughest, toughest event, uh, emotionally and physically. And at that time I just had my second daughter. She was only three months old at the time. And I worked, uh, that week I worked 20 hour days every single day. So it, I, so that, that was probably one of the most challenging. Um, but you know, those moments let you prove, you let you prove to yourself that, wow, like I didn't know I was capable of doing that. Right. You, um, you just sharing that story. Um, there's, there's a lot for me to kind of comment on. One is, um, 
I'm, I was always envious, actually, when I, uh, when I was in the wedding business. I wished I was actually on the coordinator or planner side because um, <laughs> uh, my prior background um, yeah. is I'm also um, running a studio was, was, was super mm-hmm. cool. But my, my, my love and my passion is uh, I do concert production. And um, oh, I wow. also do, I, I love doing party planning. So mm-hmm. I always, I, you know, in, in, in being a vid, um, working a, uh, on the video side, you work mm-hmm. really closely with the, um, uh, the planner and, and the, uh, the couple, right? Right, but right. I always, I, I, I feel like my personality would have gelled more um, in mm-hmm. the, like what you just described seemed extremely yeah. fun for me. Because right. I think, one thing I did love about the wedding business, not just being a part of someone's special moment, um, mm-hmm. but no two weddings is the same because no two couples no. are the same. And exactly. you actually, it's almost, you're, you got some templates you're kind of following, but like mm-hmm. uh, the music selections are always going to be different. The floral arrangements are going to be different. The yes. storytelling is going to be different. So that, I think that's what I uh, thoroughly enjoyed about the wedding business. Um, also, the weather is different. <laughs> oh my god! You know, <laughs> you know. So it's like um, there's so many things. I, I think I think that there's no. I, I always tell people there's no waste of a career. Like every every path you go down, there's never a waste. Um, and the the wedding business humbled me, but it also prepared me pretty much for anything in life after that um, between banking and event planning, because, you know, and, and for me, I care so much about my clients. Like I just want the best for them to have the best time and the best day. And there's so many things out of your control. Um, You know, one time the florist coming from orange County to San Diego, there was a huge accident on the five and it was a Catholic wedding. So Catholic weddings are very on time. And and I mean, we were just all sweating, waiting for that, the flower truck just to show up at the church. I mean, the groom thought the bride wasn't going to show up, you know, um, and then, or the weather, whether it rains or, or it's too hot and the cake melts. Um, and th- so those are just really difficult challenges that you have to really think on your feet and stay calm because the tensions are so high at, for things that you can't control. Um, and it's, it, I think after 12 years, it did take a toll on me just because I care so much. And when things don't turn out, even though it's out of my control, it it's, you know, you get like empathy fatigued, right? It's like, oh, even it's like, gosh, I just wanted, they spent so much time. They, they're such a great family and the weather just didn't work out or something didn't work out. Um. So it, I think for me, that, that was probably the toughest part. It's like taking on that burden um, of things out of my control. Um, but I have, I've met the most amazing people. I've had the most amazing experiences. Um, I mean, the hotels, the, the private homes that I've been to, um, the people I've met are just, they, they never leave me. And to this day, I still keep in touch with, with clients. I've done their weddings from over a decade ago. Um, it's, and even vendors that I used in, in weddings, um, all these years have somehow come up to help me with Wynn's kitchen where I'm at today. And even, you know, so it's, it's really an incredible, special, special, um, career for sure. Now I, what advice would you give someone who it's a girl guy that's interested in, in mm-hmm. entering into this business, the. The wedding business into the, well, the wedding. Well, um, I would say you know definitely try to see if you can shadow with someone because sometimes it sounds very glamorous and it seems like it's very fun and easy and and I used to tell my staff all the time when they they're applying I said it's ten percent creativity ninety percent business and you know when you have um, and you have to really not take things personally, because when there's parties and events, sometimes there's a lot of alcohol, um, things can get a little out of hand and tensions are high. People might raise their voice, but they may not be upset with you. Um, so just trying to real, you really have to be, um, disciplined in your emotions 
because things happen, people say things, and and you're just trying your best to to make everything run smoothly. Um, and so, so I think controlling and and managing emotions is a huge, huge uh, strength that you need to have to be in that business and thinking on your feet. So I would say shadow people as much as you can uh, get involved, see what the day looks like. Because, see what the day looks like. You know, <laughs> because we work, sometimes we work, uh, you know, 18, 20 hours, like on your feet and, and in 90 something degree weather. Um, and the adrenaline keeps you going, but you really have to love it. It because it's it's not as glamorous as it looks in pictures and on Instagram when you're when you're on the the other side, you know. I I, I can't agree more. I <laughs> I I gave that similar advice to a young gal who was a uh, um, who asked me to mentor her for the industry, and I said, um, if you're lucky enough to shadow a planning company, um, do it, mm -hmm. do it, do it, because right. you don't know planning you don't your know. friend's wedding as a as a bridesmaid. That's a very different experience than doing it right. as a profession. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And there's there's so many you you really have to be like a psychologist. There's so many family dynamics involved. Every wedding's different. Um, every situation's different. So the emotional side is very important. Like really not taking things personal and just keep moving on, trying to stay calm, get everyone kind of just a um, relax and and get the show on the road. So, for me, I would say one of the highlights that I enjoyed was, um, mm -hmm. uh, like I said earlier, there's no two weddings the same. So, seeing right. mul um, multicultural weddings are really fun for me. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And just being able to understand, and I had the privilege of doing a lot of South Indian weddings and yes, seeing um, yes. and learning learning their culture. Um, and it's yeah. it, it, so to, it's so I, fun. And sometimes, yeah. It's fun, right? And then seeing like there was like yeah, a Vietnamese so Mexican fun. wedding one time, and how they mm -hmm. and, how, and, yeah. and I really like how the couples will mesh um, to to set, yeah. to, uh, to to create a very harmonious experience for both sides. And so right. there's just like right. learning um, both sides, learning each other's culture. But the one thing mm -hmm. that bonds them together is a love for the bride and groom. Right, right. No, I love I loved um, multicultural weddings. And, and even then, it's like sometimes when I do destination weddings, like we're the family and I and my team, we all spend so much time together because we're traveling um, that in the end, you become like family, you know, it's yeah. like you like you become so close and so connected to them because they trust you in so for, for everything. So um, the connection is, is definitely one of my favorite parts of that industry, just connecting with the people and being a part of a really special day in their life. Um, but yeah, no, Thomas did a lot of uh, Indian, uh, Indian weddings. And, and before in the past, he always counted on me and hoped I was available to help him manage and corral like all the people for, <laughs> to get together for um the what, what did they call it the barat when all the horse the barat, comes yeah. and yeah yeah so it's it's fun we've had a lot the of great memories fun and and, and it was I, so fun you feel the energy and the dancing i love it but just for the listeners mm -hmm. just so you guys know indian mm -hmm. weddings um if you've never attended one um just look it up on youtube it, it is <laughs> it, it it is they 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 take it's a huge investment that they put into mm -hmm. um yes. at all scales so it's yes yeah it, it is it blew me away in terms of how to great length both families are willing mm -hmm. to go to uh um to just for one or two actually it's in certain indian weddings you go you can go up to at least two to three days because of uh oh yeah um, they they if, if you're going super traditional it, it right. it'll go for multiple days and and the um the energy is incredible. I mean, grandma will still be dancing at like three in the morning on the third day, you know, yeah. it's, they're just so that that's just their culture. And it's just so fun to see. Um, everyone's up dancing, everyone's awake, everyone's there for all the events. Um, it's, it's a huge bonding moment for them. It's a huge celebration for sure. So for doing this for a decade more and more, and actually even reaching um, such a pinnacle part, like working with the likes, like I have such a great deal of respect for Thomas and his work. Like, then, 
why jump into creating a like why why jump into entrepreneurship and doing a start a, a startup and creating a CPG brand? So now you, I got to know the, the 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 start of Win uh, Win's right. Kitchen. So Win's Kitchen was an accident, <laughs> and okay. before I started the wedding planning business, you know I've I've always loved to cook. I I taught myself how to cook. And I used to, you know, once I moved to San Diego, there's not a lot of Vietnamese food here like in that, like there was in the Bay Area. So I started teaching myself. Um, I love Vietnamese food. I missed I missed uh, the Vietnamese food that I used to eat in San Jose. And um, I just didn't know how to make a career out of it. Um, I thought about doing cooking classes, but you know, at the time I'm like, gosh, it's going to, I don't know about having strangers in my home doing cooking classes. And if I was to start a family, that's going to be really hard. And uh, the other thing is I knew I, I, I'm just not into opening a restaurant. That's just not who I am. And, and I didn't want to be stuck in a building, in a kitchen day after day. Um, but I love to cook and I love to entertain. So that's how I landed on wedding planning. I'm like, well, I get kind of get a little bit of everything. You know, I'm always a part of like the food tasting and helping them pick out the menu and cocktails and wine. And, um, and in 2016, I started having health issues and, you know, part of it, probably a part of it's related to some of the anxiety I've had after doing weddings for 12 years, it built up. So I was having some anxiety issues. I had very high blood pressure and I'm an avid tennis player. I mean, um, I exercise a lot. So I was really surprised to hear that. And it got to the point where my doctor said, hey, if this doesn't improve, you're going to get on prescription medications. So I must be probably, you know, close to, you know, mid 30, like 36, 37 at that time. Um, and my girlfriend turned me on to a program called Whole30. And it basically, you have to cut out sugar, soy, gluten, no grains, no rice or anything like that, um, and no alcohol, and you eat clean for 30 days. And I, I was just so desperate. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give it a try. And that's when I had to learn how to cook with these different ingredients like coconut aminos. I never bought coconut aminos. I didn't know what it tasted like. Um I just couldn't find any Asian sauces at the store that I could buy. All the condiments in my house, they all have sugar, soy, gluten, or, you know, MSG and all that stuff. And so I started experimenting in my kitchen. And during this time, I was still doing weddings. And so I was just doing this for me. Um, I created just a tiny little pot of satay sauce, which is my favorite Vietnamese sauce. And I was like, wow, this is really good, you know? So I started putting it on everything, my salmon. I started putting it on cauliflower rice. Um, and I and I would post about it on Facebook and share my journey. Like, oh, you know, I'm cutting out sugar. I'm doing Whole30. And there was a lot of people that reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I'm actually cutting out sugar or I'm trying Whole30 too. So next time you make, you know, a pot, can you save me a little jar? And so I was like, okay, this is kind of fun. I love it. So I started making a little bit of a bigger pot and then, you know, jarring in a little mason jar and start passing it out. And then people started posting about it and said, wow, I love the wind sauce. It's so good. And then they started sharing and it just kind of took on a life of its own. Um, so during this time, I was just making satay sauce out of my kitchen um, just for whoever wanted it. But I would be like, oh, I'm making a batch if anyone wants some. So then I'll get all these messages. And then next thing you know, is making a hundred jars a month out of my own kitchen for fun. Uh, I mean, I was driving up to like five-star hotels, like Grand Del Mar, handing out a jar of satay sauce <laughs> at valet because the catering managers wanted a jar. And um, it just kind of became a part of people wanted the sauce wherever I was like, oh, I'll see you at that wedding. Can you bring me a jar of satay sauce? And I had no background, professional background in food. I didn't even know what CPG was till like 2020. <laughs> Someone said it to me and I was like, okay, let me Google that. Um, I had no idea. What does that stand idea. for, for those who don't know? Yeah. Consumer what product goods. Oh, okay. consumer product goods. I know it now, Johnny. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah. So I, I didn't know how to get a food to market. And, and, you know, same thing. I think the most important thing is as you develop and grow in your life and the different stages, you have to learn what you don't want. And it helps lead you to what you do want. Because I know I did not want to be working at a farmer's market every weekend. I have young children, you know, who need me. Um, and they're, you know, that that time they're in activities and sports. And so I'm like, hey, I don't want to do the farmer's market. I don't want to be in a commercial kitchen making thousands of jars. And so I learned about co-packing. And, and even then, um, it took years. Ultimately, it took me three years of just asking and learning from different people, researching online, making phone calls, um, calling whoever I can uh, to find a small co-packer that, that helped me get the sauce to market. So that's, that's how Wynn's Kitchen got started. <laughs> and just the name, it, um, what, what made you land on Wynn's Kitchen? Um, well, Wynn's my name. And I, you know, I just loved it because it really started out of my kitchen. Um, my kitchen is like my favorite place in the world. It's where, you know, I, I love to cook. It's like my, anytime I'm stressed out, I drop everything. I just go in the kitchen and start food prepping and cooking. Um, that's my form of meditation. So, um, and, and actually I had started Wynn's Kitchen as a blog, you know, back when, like a long time ago, people were starting to like create blogs and it was just my little creative outlet. So I had the URL saved winskitchen.com. And when the saute sauce stuff just came out of nowhere, I said, well, I already have the website winskitchen.com. I might as well, um, just use the name. And I, and I really didn't know where it was going to go or, um, or how, you know, how it's going to develop. So I just kind of kept taking one step at a time, one day at a time, uh, to, to learn the business. So how's this journey? Um, so the, the journey for Wind's Kitchen right now, like what are, what are some notable, um, uh, lessons that you can share? Um, and I know you say you started this in 2016, but from 2016 mm -hmm. to, um, to current day, um, yeah, what are some lessons that um, you can share with the audience that you've, that you've learned? I would say, um, my biggest lesson is, you know, really just research. Don't, don't get too excited and, and look and, and just say yes to everything. Um, even people who come from referrals or friends, um, not everyone has your best interest in mind. And, and I would say one of my biggest looking back, one of my biggest, um, uh, mistakes is, you know, just trying to hire a broker too soon. And, and I'm very conservative, you know, coming from banking and managing weddings and finances, I've always been very conservative. And so I didn't sign up with a retainer, thank goodness, uh, with a full on full-time broker or anything like that. But I did hire, you know, for a small company like me, I did hire, I did try out different types of brokers. Um, and there are a lot of questions you need to ask before you hire one on. And I'm not saying it's uh, not for anyone and I'm not dissing their, their occupation by any means. Um, but a lot of times they don't really ask about the stage that the founder or the brand is in, you know? So it's like, they just want to like, Oh, it, you know, like even for example, if someone said, okay, I can get you into whole foods nationally tomorrow or in a couple months, they don't understand operationally. I can't support that. You know, it's cost so much money um, to launch into these these retail chains, and you have to give free product. I didn't know what free fills was, um, slotting fees, um, distribution costs. There's so much cost, and and on top of that, you know, going with especially with a product like mine, that's it's a natural product. There's a lot of real ingredients, fresh ingredients. It's not just a bunch of vinegar pureed chili peppers in a bottle with cornstarch, right? And sugar. It, there's a lot of natural ingredients and it's a complicated uh, process that can't be rushed. So you have to balance of scaling operationally, financially, and then also, um, you know, and then also like learning to grow and, and get, learning from your mistakes as you grow. So don't try to grow 
so fast, too big, and and spend your time thinking about, oh, National, Whole Foods, Target, um, start in your neck of the woods and build that velocity, you know, do the demos, get the customer feedback, le- keep learning. You're going to learn every single day when you're out there talking to people and networking. Um, just, you know, even like a local retailer channel that I really liked, and I was going after them, going after them. And finally, they're like, yeah, we love the sauce, but you're not non-GMO verified. And that's a requirement. I'm like, well, no one told me that, right? And luckily, I didn't sign up with a broker that charged me $4,000 a month only to say, oh, they loved your product, but you need to be non-GMO verified. Because that took me eight months to get and also thousands of dollars to get that, right? So um, there's... There's all these things that you don't know about for each retailer and and the process and the funds, the money that's that's required to get in. Yeah, it doesn't that, mean you're going to make money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely want to break that down because I know um, when you hear it seems like the holy grail for a brand is like when you get into these big box retailers, or at least that's mm-hmm. the most talked about. And, and, right. and people are very proud of that. But me as an entrepreneur myself, it. it it, there's like two parts to getting into a retailer. You got to have mm-hmm. the consumer base and marketing to support that. And then obviously right. in the physical goods, you got to have the money to produce that. Right. And, um, right. and if right. And you're dealing with, when you're dealing with physical goods, there's expiration dates and there's like, mm-hmm. if, if, if the, the products don't move, I don't know if you get charged yeah. for that. I'm pretty sure there there is a charge right. for um, take backs or I, I don't know what the, exact phrases but chargebacks yeah yeah yeah. chargebacks right so that's Mm -hmm. i guess uh, to kind of reassess um expectations as a somebody who wants to um right introduce a brand and get it into retail right uh what at what stage are are yeah at what stage would you say it's right to bring on a broker or bring on um a, a big box retailer and what what are some of those key like tips that you can provide there yeah and and to be honest johnny i'm not there yet um the mm-hmm. more i learn um the more the more i've i've grown and i've done this you know predominantly by myself um the more i've kind of learned and and understood like okay i know i know my mistakes i know now i know i need to stay on track and and just put blinders on and not think about what everyone else is doing. Cause it's hard. You go on LinkedIn. Everyone's like, Oh, I'm here. I'm there. I just gone to wet, you know, whole foods and Gelson's. And you're just like, gosh, like how come I can't get into there? Or, you know, you kind of start feeling like a loser a little bit. Um, but my biggest advice is put your blinders on, look at, look at your own business, yeah. look at the profits. Like you need to be making money. Like don't, like $4,000 a month for a broker, how much is that going to, how much do you have to sell? Do you even have enough product to sell to break even, let alone, you know, cause that 4,000 just gets you into the door. And and I'm just using 4,000 as an example, you know, as an example, um, yeah. but yeah, but, um, but you get in the door, you have to pay for marketing fees, new item promotions, because once you get on the shelf, you've got to pr- help move the product off the shelf as well. So I think really just take your time and put your blinders on because everyone's going to want to sell you something. Everyone's going to say you can get X, Y, Z number of impressions, um, but it doesn't, it doesn't equate to dollars to returns. Um, So I think really be out in the field, especially when you're starting out. And I think my situation is a little different because of the pandemic. Um, right, I launched September 2019, and then we then we went into the pandemic, and then just look, coming out of that and learning how everything works from there. Um, but just be in the field, talk to customers, hear the feedback, and that's where you, those are your those are the people buying your product. That's that's going to determine does your product is your product different enough to make money. Um, do, what makes your product stand out from any other products in that category? Um, and even if you, if, even if you have five stores or six stores, if you build the velocity in those stores, 
it's going to be more than having a hundred stores right off the bat that you can't go in to see. You don't know what the placement is. Um, you don't have a relationship with the buyers to learn and you can easily get kicked out. And, and after you've invested a lot of marketing dollars in it to get on that shelf. I have a two part question about mm -hmm. um, getting out there and knowing your customers. So first question is what, how would you, if, how would you profile your current customer base? And second question is because it is a bit, um, it, it is a Vietnamese saute product. Um, mm -hmm. Have you gotten consumer feedback from the, uh, the Vietnamese community about your product? Yeah. So I would say my, my customers are more um, health conscious or, and, mm -hmm. and they're foodies. They like higher quality ingredients. They appreciate that over, over cost. Um, you know, I, I do, you know, I'm not in the Asian markets at the time, right? Cause you go in the Asian market and it's more, it's a lot more price sensitive. I'll just be honest. It's very price it sensitive. Um, you don't see a lot of uh, like gourmet sauces selling above $10 a jar, right? Or a bottle. Um, but I think that it will get there because the Asian community is understanding that they need to change the way they eat. I mean, we have diabetes, we have, you know, high cholesterol. Uh, it's pre prevalent in my family and even in myself as a 30 something year old playing tennis five days a week. Um, so we have to change the way we eat. But right now it's really the, the people that shop already shop in the natural food, um, shop in the high end butchery shops that love quality meats, that love good sauces, that love healthy ingredients. Um, when I'm out doing demos, a lot of people that are interested in my sauce or interested in trying, they're picking up the jar and they're looking Got at it. the ingredients. It, it's not just like, oh, how much, you know, um, it's right. really, it's oh, not just what like is in? It's yes. ingredient. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is in here? How much sodium? Uh, is there sugar? Um, what are you using to sweeten it? Right. They are looking and asking questions. And and I think that's where um, I really stand out because it's still not happening a lot in the Asian community, like talking about like healthy, better for you, better ingredients. Um, you know, of course, I, I love a big giant bowl of noodles. I, if I could, I could eat that every day with, some, you know, nuke mom and, and you know, but it, and rice, I, that's how we grew up eating rice every day, meat with a lot of fat on it. Um, it's just, you know, when we know better, we, we try to do better. Right. And, and I can tell, like, even just from online, I'm get I have a lot of Vietnamese clients, um, probably in our generation that are mm -hmm. health conscious, that want better ingredients that want to cook at home and, but love the flavor, love the lemongrass, love the fish sauce. Um, but they don't want to eat corn syrup anymore. So um, I don't even advertise on Amazon and just the keto keywords, no sugar. I mean, all the, like majority of the sales on there are all organic. I would say in terms of to speak mm -hmm. on higher price uh, or higher grade products um, mm -hmm. entering the Asian market, I think there are some Asian chains that are Mm -hmm. um, are starting to include that. I think, uh, right, I believe right, in Mark, right. I'm starting to see right. different um, ranges, right. in, let's say, right. even in soy sauce and, and, and right. you know, uh, within our community, uh, the Vietnamese right. American community, fish sauce has really, um, mm -hmm. has, has evolved. There's a, there right. is now a mid to premium grade uh, fish sauce category. Yes. And, yes. And, and it, it is a fascinating thing to see how people um, view it because I, uh, um, right. There's two predominantly that I would say stands out. There's the Red Boat and also the Sunfish Sauce, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, yeah, big difference in price uh, compared to the uh, the squid, like the mass-produced ones, right? right. Uh, <laughs> the, yeah, the three crab, the three crab. That was three the crab one. Was one of right. them. Yeah, the three crab. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, but I, I do yeah. see that there is a there's a there's a market for the the higher quality, and I know the there are chefs that seek out. Especially at high end restaurants, I'm seeing the um, the, uh, the higher end restaurants are using the sunfish sauces and the um, and, right. and the red boat. Uh, so mm -hmm. I I definitely can see um, your product being used right. at, um, 
at these institutions or at these restaurants. Right. And, and I, I love that, um, that Vietnamese food and Asian food in general, it's starting to get elevated, right? It's not just the takeout. It's not just the cheap food, um, that, you know, it's like, oh, the meat, like, oh, this is, you know, it's good. It tastes good, but the quality of meat's not great. Um, we're really starting to, to see a huge shift from that. And I, I love that because, you know, I love catfish. I have no, no problem with eating catfish. Most Vietnamese recipes are with catfish, but now I'm like, Hey, there's, if I have access to a good halibut or really good salmon, why not use that instead of catfish? Right. Um, so just swapping out those ingredients, but keeping the flavors that we love, um, that that's really my passion. Um, it's just, just making changes for us to eat healthier and, and for our community to eat healthier and be more health conscious. Um, but keeping all of the flavors from our, from our culture that we love. I would say Vietnamese food also has quite, um, diversified and evolved into popular mm -hmm. cuisine. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the back in the days in high school, like uh, it was just uh, I would mention spring rolls or or bun and that would mm -hmm. be uh, people. Some people know, some people won't. But then right. nowadays, I feel like almost everyone, at least mm -hmm. in at least in here in Orange County, you say bun or spring rolls are fun. Oh, yeah. It is. Yeah. It's like as common as tacos and burritos and and so right. forth. But beyond that, I think the the various different noodle dishes, the vermicelli dishes, are definitely mm -hmm. um, gaining more popularity and uh right. so video cuisine has um both on the uh the, the cuisine side has definitely uh, right. has, has has become a lot more popular and i think with consumer products that we're going to see we're going to continue to keep seeing that mm -hmm. uh, products in, in, enter the market right and and that's that's my dream and that's my goal and that's something i want to contribute to with wins kitchen right to to bring healthy Vietnamese food to the masses where, and, and I, you know, I came up with my pho spice pack. I mean, I have friends from all different cultures who probably just started eating pho last year. Um, now they're making their own pho at home, you know, and, and they're loving it. And they're just, you know, they feel like such a sense of accomplishment. They're like, wow, like my family's so impressed and it's so easy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that just makes me so happy to to be able to share our culture with other people um, and not, have it not be so intimidating. Like instead of just going out to eat a bowl of pho um, where there could be, you know, MSG or just it might not be as healthy. Like I have to admit today was my daughter's birthday. She wanted Din Tai Fung. Um, I love it. But, but now I'm like, OK, I'm so thirsty. <laughs> like, you know, it's. But, so you can't eat out that type of food every day. Um, but just having the knowledge and, and being able to eat Vietnamese food in the, at home without even being Vietnamese and having a better one of the rotations in their family, um, I think that 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 makes me happy. Just knowing that uh, that they can do it at home. It's really healthy and it's it's not so intimidating. Like people always tell me, like, oh, Vietnamese food, I love it, but it's so intimidating. So, right. I know you also, since you are a cook, um, you must have some recipes that uh, mm -hmm. um, that you that that you do well, and and do you share that through your um, through your brand or through through your uh, your company. I do. So on my website, windskitchen.com, I try to post a recipe a week. So I share tons of recipes and, and I try to simplify things or I tell them like, Hey, if you can't find this, you can, you know, substitute with this. And it's things that they can find anywhere. They can find at any grocery store. They don't have to go to an Asian market. Um, and then I post, I'm very active on Instagram. I post like quick, short recipes on there and I try to do quick little videos, you know, and it's all live. Cause I, I want people to know like, Hey, I'm, I'm the same as you. I'm a busy mom. I'm an entrepreneur mom. And when I'm cooking, it's cause I'm cooking for my family. So it's usually like one hand stirring, one hand's holding the phone. Um, it's not perfect, but life's not perfect. And if I can do it, you know, and inspire other people to say, oh my gosh, I have all those ingredients and I have a jar of wind sauce. I can just throw that in together and make a quick five minute healthy dinner. Um, so I'm very active with, uh, with Instagram and on my website. 
Um, and one of the things I'm working on is a cookbook, and it's a it's a healthy twist on traditional Vietnamese cuisines. Um, so I'm probably halfway through writing the recipes, and um, and then yeah, so pro hopefully next year that will launch. But uh, just really cutting out the sugar. I mean, if we cut out the sugar out of Vietnamese food, it, it really makes a huge impact. Like, and it's a matter of just substitution. And for me, taste is also very important. So I'm not going to substitute with things that, that makes it taste bad. Um, so I, so that's something, that's one thing I'm really excited about. I want to talk about your podcast as well. Um, okay. I love the podcast um, a medium. Obviously that's, I feel it's in in a in a in a in a generation right now where mm -hmm. everything is so quick and short, and um, they have. I feel like you're not able to dive deep into um, topics or conversations, um, mm -hmm. and that's why I feel. And people don't read anymore, so I don't feel like blogs are mm -hmm. as a um, right. as effective as they used to be. So podcasts right. have exploded, exploded um, um, over the past mm -hmm. couple of years. So. Right. So, what are in your show? What do you, what mm -hmm. types of topics do you discuss, and what type of guests do you bring on for um, your podcast? So, um, the reason why I even started the podcast was because I was, you know, I'm all, I love connecting with people. Um, I love people. I've always been that way. Um, like I mentioned, I still have connections and relationships with people that were my clients from Bank of America over 20 years ago, down to all the clients I've done wedding, uh, a lot of the clients I've done weddings for to this day. Um, so I love relationships and connecting with people. And in trying to learn the CPG world, uh, I love to talk to other people and so and and vice versa to help each other out so i've had you know other founders reach out to me um we'll do zoom and chat through some of the things we're going through together um i'll reach out to other founders and say hey i'm struggling with this you know have you experienced this before and in doing that i'm like hey I bet you there's a lot of other people that could benefit from this conversation. So I figured, you know, why don't we record it so that uh, and have it really candid so that like, you know, through our conversation, they could probably learn something that can help them. And it, you know, cause I, you know, I'm, I'm not a consultant. I'm not going to, you know, I don't charge people for, for advice or anything like that. Um, so it's like, it's just a way for me to put it out there. And I feel like if it helps one person take a step towards their goal or take a step towards um, something they want to do, or if they're having a bad day, you know, we've, I've had many moments where I felt like I've hit rock bottom and I've listened to a podcast and found something I could relate to that helped me kind of like get back on my feet and, you know, delete all those negative thoughts and, and continue to move forward because this, this is my passion. Um, so that's why I started it. And the guests I have that on there are predominantly other CPG founders, most food related. Um, and, you know, like I had a business strategist on here talking about storytelling, especially, you know, a lot of founders are working on their pitch decks to, to fundraise and to, for pitch competitions. So she gives advice on how to do that and the importance of storytelling in your pitch deck and how to develop that. Um, so just anything that can help other founders, other business owners, and then just sharing, you know, I haven't done any solo podcasts yet, um, but that's something that I plan on recording because, you know, I've been through a lot. I, I did launch my yeah. Wins Kitchen, um, you know, through a divorce at the time I was working three jobs, you know, sold my home, moved out. And less than a month later, had my first official batch of, of saute sauce. That's legit. <laughs> so um, I feel, you know, and it wasn't always easy. But I, so I think sharing some of those experience, real life experiences, um, people can really relate to and, and either inspire them or help them get back on their feet. And so that, that makes me happy. With your company being um, so, has a, having an identity with, the Vietnamese food culture, um, mm -hmm. because of the saute sauce and so forth. I'm mm -hmm. curious, have you ever, uh, made the trip back to Vietnam and 
if you have, what was that experience for you? So when I went back to Vietnam, it was actually in 2006. Uh, so it was a long time ago. Okay. And I absolutely loved it. And, and on that, that trip was really special because my, my real dad, when we left Vietnam, he wasn't able to come with us. And he ended up in Melbourne, Australia. Um, okay. So I've seen, you know, I've gone out to Melbourne a few times growing up. And then that time, he was getting pretty sick. And so then we all met up in Vietnam. And um, I just loved it. I mean, the driving was really scary. <laughs> Like all the all the cars and people, um, that was kind of scary. But I just felt so at home. I loved all the food. I love being able to hear um, like Vietnamese everywhere, and it, it was just such a different experience for me. And I, I definitely left there after two weeks. My Vietnamese was way better than it was when I first got there. My vocabulary was better, and you know, I I love I'm. It, I love all the food and, and, and things just made sense. Like I tell people, I'm like, well, you know, I'm kind of a loud person and I'm like, no wonder because you go to, I'm like getting my hair washed and the, and the lady's like, do you want some, you know, you want some coffee? I'm like, yeah, sure. So she just stands at the door and scream across the street, cafe soda. And the lady, mm -hmm. <laughs> lady comes over. I'm like, this is amazing. So it, so it's probably some of the mannerisms we have, even though um, I grew up here, uh, I could relate to, you know, when I went back to Vietnam and just all the, all the, the vegetables, everything was so fresh. Um, I, I absolutely loved it and, and I'm excited to go back. So I think, I think Christina and I are, are planning a trip probably next year. <laughs> yeah. It's, and 2006 is quite a long time. The, um, mm -hmm. the country itself is going through, uh, such a, um, such rapid growth in every sector. Mm -hmm. Um, the amount of yeah. tourism um, and development uh, in mm -hmm. all the metropolitan city is already seen. Um, I think now right. there's there's several different Michelin star restaurants that are there. Wow. It's yeah, yeah it, it, it's quite a melting pot, especially in um, in in Saigon. Um, so yeah. Yeah. every single every single time I go back, it's uh, I learn I, I learn something learn something new. Yeah, and how many times? How often do you go back, Johnny? I have gone back probably close to a dozen times. Um, wow, and, that's and awesome! And for various different reasons. There's there. Uh, my very first time was because um, I'm. The backstory is my I am the oldest son in my family, so the I'm the Jiaodong. Um, my mm -hmm. grandfather um, passed away, and he mm -hmm. he spent a lot of his time in America too. But he wanted mm -hmm. to spend his last several years in in the country, and uh, so mm -hmm. as soon as I heard of his. Uh, uh, heard about his death immediately. It was important for um, uh, for for me to be uh, present at his funeral, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I was fourteen years old at the time. Um, and going back in, in without any mental preparation of it, mm -hmm. um, and then kind of experiencing not city life, but experiencing um, how a traditional Vietnamese funeral mm -hmm. um, is, and my role in it, and then being in the mm -hmm. country. It was it was overwhelming. It was uh, and it was yeah. not only overwhelming. It was short. It was uh, a record four, I think four days, three nights. It was wow. super super quick because I yeah. um I had to get back to the states. So it, getting mm -hmm. over uh for anybody who's ever traveled to the east, getting over jet lag is already um yeah a, a lot to get through, right? So it's a lot. But then after that, uh, because I worked in as I said, I worked in the um, concert industry so i had the privilege of actually mm -hmm. going back several times because of that um wow i and so I, every reason um every every time i find a deeper uh connection with the country and i still strongly identify and my mannerisms are very american but i think as i every every trip i gain a little bit more um clarity mm -hmm. in my vietnamese um identity so um I right. I encourage I always encourage American born Vietnamese or anybody who's born outside of mm -hmm. Vietnam to make that trip yeah. back at least once. Um not and and mm -hmm. for the simple fact of just I feel it's important to be in a country where everyone um there is of the same mm -hmm. um ethnicity. And then uh, right. you'll go through the emotions and then uh, of of how that that makes you feel, you know. 
So, um, so kind of follow up my question to that is being in San Diego. Um, how do you, how, how are, how's your Vietnamese? How do you keep up with, uh, the, the language? Do you, are, do you have the ability to practice it? Are you, you consume any content to, uh, uh, to keep up with it? Yeah. So, you know, I was really lucky that because um, I came to the United States when I was only three years old. Um, but I was very lucky that my grandparents, my Amwai, were the ones that really took care of me um, probably up till about 10, 11 years old. And so I on- they don't they didn't speak any English. So I only spoke Vietnamese to them. And I spoke Vietnamese, you know, at home with my mom. Uh, but through all those young years, I was able to retain the language. I can't read um, aside from food <laughs> items um, and I can't write, but I can speak um, pretty well. And right after I graduated from college, it was funny because in in San Diego, there's an area called Linda Vista that they that was where it was a huge Vietnamese community for San Diego at the time. And the district manager was looking for a Vietnamese manager. So uh, he found out about me, hired me on, and, you know, I had to speak Vietnamese every single day, all day. And not only that, but in business, like doing loans, opening accounts, um, legal stuff, that that stuff I didn't speak with with, with my grandparents. No. But mm-hmm. Um, but you know, just, I'm so good at like, just like hearing the words they say, and then I'm like picking it up like, okay, so I, I know how to say that now. Um, and that really helped my Vietnamese in the business world. And, uh, after that, you know, just the different, the different businesses that I've had, I've been able to ha- find people, Vietnamese people are drawn to me, even in the wedding business, it may, you know, the couple may speak English, but they wanted someone that understood the culture that the can culture. communicate mm-hmm. with the parents. And so um, I was able to speak Vietnamese in that business. And I do have Vietnamese friends. And even recently, because we all speak English, um, I've been thinking that, you know, I need to start practicing speaking Vietnamese with them when we're talking on the phone just for fun, uh, just to really keep that. Because I can tell if I don't speak Vietnamese for like a week, I can still speak it, of course, but then it's just a little bit more rough, right? But the second that I'm around it, like a few, a few days, it's like right back on. And like, and, and a lot of people will say that they, they can't tell, I don't have like an accent. Like I don't have like an American accent when I speak Vietnamese, which is, which is great. But it's just more like, you know, when you're out of practice, it's just a little bit more rough. You have to dig for, mm-hmm. for your vocabulary, you know, um, but I've been thinking about watching some Vietnamese movies lately just to kind of brush up, just to kind of keep it on the forefront and, and learning different vocabulary too. I would say, I would suggest TV shows actually. Um, there's a yeah, lot of uh, yeah. TV shows coming out. There's one coming out on Netflix that is quite exciting. It it deals with tourism um, and it brings not just uh, uh, overseas Vietnamese back to Vietnam, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of, Koreans, Taiwanese, um, a lot mm-hmm. of it's it's a show it, it's a show with the intention of showing off all the different tour spots, um, mm-hmm. and it's going to be on yeah oh, it's going to be I on Netflix. Oh, and, and, it, and it they're speaking Vietnamese too, and it's primarily and Vietnamese. And, oh, and actually, very no, I, cool. I take that back. It's the guests all speak kind of English because it's uh not everyone is of of of, of Vietnamese um of identity, so they're. Like I said, there was Koreans. There's, um, I think there was a half yeah. Vietnamese, half Black girl. So like they, they all kind of transcend into um, to Saigon. Then they go to Vung Tao. Mm-hmm. They go to all. It, it's a really. Yeah. It seems like a really well. Well, it is a pretty well produced show because the the host of the program, um, his name is Jiang Tan. He's essentially the Ryan Seacrest of the country. He's one of the most oh. prolific uh, uh, MC or host in in, in television. Mm-hmm. So he so he's hosting it but there's there's also a slew of a lot of uh other really fun uh programs on right. um, available on youtube now there's dramas there's um reality shows um i i earlier right. this year got to participate in the reality show uh, vietnam idol 
um, on the US, right. US side. That's so, so cool. Yeah. So and and the production and, quality is exceptional. It's it, awesome. it, it just as um, pretty much close to our standards over here. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and actually, I was on your Instagram, and I saw there was, um, there was a gal that was doing Vietnamese lessons for children. It's like I, mommy I, and me Vietnamese. Yeah. So I want to talk about that just real quickly because it was um, yeah. the, her company, her parents' company, it's called Tehecha, and they started that in about 30 years ago. Um, one of oh, the okay. first um, production company that focuses on the language for um, and children's programming. And mm -hmm. through that, you know, back then it was delivered through uh, DVDs and, and DVDs. so forth. Uh, and so the TV mm -hmm. stations kind of started coming around. They started airing their mm -hmm. content. But um, the it was important for Sophie Tran, who is the, um, uh, she's the second generation for that company, uh, mm -hmm. to continue to honor her parents' um, business by I love doing, that. now that she's a parent herself, she's like, and, and mm -hmm. her, her sister, her, her and her younger sister grew up in that environment. They're like, how can mm -hmm. we, how can we bring this children's programming um, and also, but also aim it towards our generation so that we can mm -hmm. teach mm -hmm. applicable, like parent Vietnamese, right? <laughs> to, uh, right. Um, to this generation. So, I so loved that's, it. Yeah. yeah. So that so I, I decided to partner with her um, because if I, I do have a, a, a good following within my demographic uh, mm -hmm. uh, age range and a lot of them are new parents. Yeah. And I think that right. one of the things is, is to encourage um, the, yes. the, the the newborns and the kids to start getting familiar with uh, the Vietnamese words, you know, so, you, right. uh, the, you know, the, the, the two words that she chose today was one was om. You know, uh, uh -huh. another one was uh -huh. ma, like open up. So like it, mm -hmm. I, I love what she's doing. I love what her and her family I has done it. for the community. And uh, I wanted to support mm -hmm. her. So yeah, that's, that's one, yeah. um, that's one programming that um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to. I to love keep. it. I, I, you know, I started following her and I was telling my daughters about her and, and it makes it less, um, you know, cause I'm not a good teacher, uh, aside from cooking, you know, especially when you're trying to, when I was trying to homeschool my kids in the pandemic, there were a lot of tears <laughs> on both ends, but like her videos was just, it breaks it down like one word a day. And, and so it's something that it's like part of daily life. And I thought well, that, that was that really series, fascinating. Yeah. That, so that particular series is aimed towards new parents. So um, there's others mm -hmm. that are, there, there's a sing-along one that they have. Uh -huh. There are more advanced ones, but that particular, yeah. I chose to feature um, yeah. the, the, that particular series because I, I feel there's a lot of new parents on my ch um, yes. following. And I'm like, mm -hmm. just learn one word of the day. If you can do that for, right. for a couple of months, right. <laughs> it, it'll, well, it'll it's help good for you my out. kids. They're not little, they're not so tiny, but, but they, you know, they're interested and, and even just being able to practice the sounds later on, if they want to get more serious, it's a little yeah. easier if they can have those sounds now, you know, like at a younger age. Exactly. So, so I, I was, I was like, wow, that's so cool. So I'm going to start doing that with my girls. Yeah, there's actually quite a there, there's several other um, channels on YouTube and other creators yeah. that are focusing on this particular uh, topic. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm happy to actually mm -hmm. share that. Um, I'm glad sure. you, you, you followed her, but there are others um, out there okay. in, in the space already. Um, awesome. Now, I usually like to kind of close the podcast with mm -hmm. um, kind of asking you this particular question, um, which is what does being Vietnamese mean to you? Yeah, Johnny, that's a deep question. That's and deep question. and no one's ever asked. Yeah, no one's ever asked me that before. And I think being Vietnamese to me is really honoring, you know, our, our heritage, our history, right? It's, um, it's like the more I learn about my family, it's like the more I'm interested. It's like I hear stories about my Manoy and how she was an entrepreneur boss lady, like, back in the day, which is unheard of. Yeah. And she was so underestimated and she was uh, an amazing cook. Like the whole neighborhood would come around for her cooking. And um, those were just stories that no one told me when I was younger. And, and it's different when you 
when we come over here as immigrants, our parents are just trying to survive, right? They're just trying to make a living and, and keep everyone fed. And there's not always a lot of time to sit and learn of, about your history or your story. So the older I get, the more I become fascinated about my history, the more I want to learn about my family um, and the past. Uh, I've been reading a lot of Vietnamese novels like um, The Mountain Sings and Dust Child. And, oh, yeah. And it's it's just, oh, like, it's like, you know, it helps it helps me remember like, okay, like when I think I'm going through tough times, like look what they went through. Um, they just are trying to keep their kids from dying. Um, and, and what a lot of people don't realize is when I came to the States, you know, I was born in 1980 and it was still a difficult time in Vietnam. So the story is that, you know, my, my, but no, I was able to have enough money to buy seven types of beans and they grind it up and they to make milk and then they would add sugar to it because otherwise it's bitter. And as an infant, I wouldn't drink it. Um, and so I had very bad teeth growing up and and it's just all these things. It's like it reminds you that we're, we're survivors, you know, if and it doesn't it helps me not put so much pressure on my kids. Cause I'm like, man, I didn't even speak English in first grade. You know, I was in ESL. Um, I didn't have any nutrition. Um, I was malnourished and I turned out pretty good. So it, it really helps me have a different perspective with my children of like, they're, I mean, they're going to be fine, you know, um, and also just teaching them resilience. Um, yeah. So I think being yeah. Vietnamese is just really going back to our history, learning about our family's past, the things they've gone through, their experiences, their jobs, um, you know, and just all like the neighborhood stories. It's so community focused. And, and I love that. So and hopefully I can leave my mark. It'll, of course, it'll look different, um, but I can leave my mark in this world before I leave. And and for me, I just love I love sharing food. I love cooking for people and teaching people how to cook um, and food from our culture, um, just more of a modern, healthy twist on it, but um, just bringing that out to the masses, you know? Now, for those who want to support your, um, uh, and want to buy your products, uh, let's maybe list a few retailers, maybe some mainstream mm -hmm. retailers they could probably get it from, and uh, all the social profiles that we could find you on. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're in the LA area, um, they're at the satay sauce is at all the Erewhon's, which is a really popular retailer. Um, in San Diego, I mean, we're at most of the independent retailers like Seaside Market. Um, you know, I have a store. I have a store locator on the website. We're actually getting ready to launch into Mother's Market throughout Orange County and LA. So that'll be that's 12 locations. Brand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's landing this week. Um, so I'll be up there quite a bit once it hits the shelf. And um, you know, I think just go on the store locator, see what's around. I always suggest supporting the local stores, the local grocery stores. And um, if there's not one near you, you can always buy online at winskitchen.com. Uh, you can always connect with me on Instagram. I'm, I always share my entrepreneurial journey in addition to uh, like cooking tips and, and recipes. Awesome. Well, uh, you definitely have my support. I'm going to definitely go out and, and then especially at Mother's. And Mother's right down the street from me. So uh, oh, I'm looking forward okay. to okay. So uh, I'll let you know. Yeah. Let me know. So I'll let you know when I'm there. Food. Yeah. Thank you. But no, thank, thank you. Thanks I appreciate so much for your time. It. And uh, I enjoyed having you um, on the podcast. And uh, we've had a great conversation today. Yeah. No, thank you so much, Johnny. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, I'm excited to continue to connect with you and, and learn more about what you do. I, th I think it's amazing. And, you know, it's, um, it's something you should be really proud of too. Thank you so much.